we've got Ross Bennett coming on yes. the show. Ross Bennett is, you may not know him by name, but you've seen him. He's a stand-up comic. He's been on Na- David Letterman, and he's been on National Broadcast, and he's great. He's very, he's very funny. very funny guy. And we're going to talk to him about, um, well, his life as a comedian. Yeah. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Minutia Man Celebrity Interview with Rick and Dave. Okay, joining us on the phone, Dave, I, I, you know, this is a, a big thrill for us because this is a, we're talking about a professional Ma- comedian. Uh, Ma- major. Uh, and I have to admit to you, Ross, that uh, Dave and I didn't really know much about you before we attended Dobie Maxwell's book release party at Zany's a few years ago. But uh, right. Dobie's a good friend of ours. We published his book, and we saw you. You were the headliner that night, and you absolutely killed. You It was oh. one of the funniest sets we've ever seen. We, we have become huge fans of yours. And my first question is, uh, when are you coming back to town? Meaning Chicago. Meaning Chicago. And, uh, of course, uh, I don't know. Yeah, okay. I mean, I, I, I don't like to be difficult, uh, <laughs> but, but the, uh, these choices are not ultimately up to me. Yes. Well, well, People have to want uh, to put, to get, put this thing together, and so um, uh, we'll see. We'll see, but I've, I've always loved being – whenever I worked in Chicago, I lived there for a number of years. And work at Zany's a lot, but you know, yeah. As 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 uh, as time goes on, your the, the options for venues shift and change. And uh, but I'd, I'd I'd be back there tomorrow. I'm actually gonna be I'm actually am gonna be there for one hour tomorrow. Okay. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm changing planes. I'm on my way to uh, uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, for Saturday night. Wow. I'm I'm flying through Chicago tomorrow. So what airline? So we can have fans uh, check you out at Gate 17 or something, right? You'll be doing a big signs up for you. I will be on United Airlines. Okay. Okay. Now, when you lived in Chicago, where did you live? What part of town? Well, I've been there. You know, when I started my career uh, and and I sort of say that in quotes, um, I uh, first came there in 1978 uh, I had met a, a Chicago comic uh, at um, Ted Holum. Do you ever hear Ted Holum? Uh, no, I don't. Well, think so. uh, I'm I'm down in Florida after I got out of the army in the uh, in the spring of '78, and I meet this guy. He and it was at a, I was doing a talent show, and that was the only time I, you know I was still trying to pull an act together. And this guy went up. And it was the first comic I ever saw where every joke worked. Hmm. You know, the, it wasn't like there was any question in his mind. This he this guy, I'd never seen a guy with an act like this, you know, where every joke worked. And afterwards, we had a conversation, and uh, he said, you're funny. He goes, I have a couple of showcase rooms up in the, in, the, in the Chicago area, in the suburbs. He goes, if you move up, I can put you on stage 10 times a week. I can't, I can't pay you, <laughs> but I'll put you on stage 10 times a week. And I sold the last few things I owned, dropped out of my third college, and I was up there like two weeks later. Oh, wow. And so I lived out in Lyons sure. in the suburbs. Okay. And there was a club in Lyons called the, the, the Comedy Womb, W-O-M-B, the Comedy Womb, where comedians are born. Oh, oh clever. And Very then nice. there was another club, another club out in Rosemont called the Comedy Cottage. So uh, that's where I, that was the first my first experience with Chicago, and I left there in the 
uh, about nine months later, and I ended up moving in Los Angeles in January of 79. But the second time I was there living was, um, I think, 90, I think it was 93 to 95 or 92 to 94. And I lived right in, uh, uh, like, near Clark and Diversey and Broadway oh, sure. and all that kind of thing. Okay. And I had an apartment there. And uh, and during that period of time, I remember uh, Bert Haas at the comedy at the um, um, Zanies. He he put me up. He goes, he, if you know Bert, he goes, Bert. He goes, he goes, uh, Ross. Tell you, you you move here, and I'll give you one week a month. Oh. I got three clubs. I'll put you in each club four times. No, because I got four clubs. I'll put you in each club three times, and you'll you you make your nut for your month. You'll be guaranteed that one week every month. And then I sort of restructured my uh, career at that point out of the, the Midwest. So well, that's my experience. And then, and then while I was there, I took uh, I went to Second City because I'd always, you know, I was, a, I was a comedy club headliner, but I'd always wanted to learn more about improv. And I spent a year and a half while I was there studying improv at the Second City and one of my I had my my teachers were I had Colbert as a teacher. <laughs> That's pretty. And good. I had um, uh, Carell, Steve Carell. He didn't wow. he, he did he didn't have a full class, but he substituted for Colbert once. And, How about uh, that? That's around the time that Dave and I were. Yeah, there we, too, yeah, but we didn't get those teachers. We got <laughs> <No>. like <laughs> Stumpy McGee or whatever was ours. So you, you, I remember watching when I went and saw the show at Second City at that time, in like the mid nineties. And I saw Steve Carell. I said, "This guy's going to be a giant star." Yeah, he was yeah, fantastic. Colbert, Colbert. I didn't see it. You know, he was just a, a, a good-looking guy who spoke well. You know, but uh, Carell was, a, was obviously a genius. Oh yeah, absolute genius. So you had mentioned that you after so you were in Chicago, then you went to L.A. And so you were in the eight. Uh, what what time frame were you in Los Angeles at that time? I lived there from seventy-nine to eighty-four. So you were there. In some crazy times, I mean, you must have been able to see some of the great comedians of, you know, in well, history. Well, I, I, my my big thing was that um, when when uh, Pryor put together his second concert, the live on Sunset mm -hmm. Strip, yeah, the one that about after he uh, burned himself up and everything, right? He put that together up at the comic strip. And uh, I was there while he did that, and so I got to I got oh. to see him go up, you know, dozens and dozens of times. Where because he he basically would go up with nothing, and he would start to build this set based on uh, a very organic process. Wow! And uh, I feel you know it's in my own little way. I feel that that was sort of my if if I went to a school for stand up, it was that summer. Wow. And uh, I kind of uh, it taught me to always trust that eventually you work on it long enough, you, you'll figure the joke out. You'll you'll figure it out. Did you get to meet him? Did you get to meet him or Carlin or any of those? You guys? know, I, I shook his hand. <laughs> I remember, you know, he was he was, you know, it, he, the great thing about comedy and comics is, you, you know, I, I worked at the comedy cellar for a number of years in New York. And you're sitting at that table there at the, in the back of the com of the uh, cellar, and I can be sitting there, and, and Jerry Seinfeld could come up, yeah. and he's got the same pad of paper that I have. <laughs> you know, I mean, comics. You know, the, the, once you get down to it, 
it's it's the same. The numbers might be different in terms of how much ge- money they can generate, uh, but ultimately it's like, how is this funny? I think it's funny. How do I make it funny? And we share that common um, uh, we share that 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 common experience. So most comics can hang out at least for some period of time with other comics and they have something to say to each other. Yeah, they do hang out a lot, don't they? Um, and you know, also, I, you know, I, I would describe your, uh, your set as observational humor. Is that kind of what you would describe it as too? Where I'm, you... I'm going to be, a, I'm going to be a jerk. I hate to label myself. Okay. Because I don't think yeah, Rick. To me to label myself. You know, I just, I got my thing that I do. And, um, uh, but if, hey, if you think I'm observational, good observation. <laughs> Excellent observation. Well, I, it's, the reason I say that, let me retrench myself a little bit here. The reason I say that is because um, you, you're a lot of your stuff is about just day to day things that are happening, and when you when your comedy act is about that and i i used to write a column for a newspaper and uh, my job was to write a humor column every week and i would walk around with a little notebook in my back pocket and if i saw something funny i would write it down and i was wondering right. if that's kind of a similar thing that you have you you like walk around with uh, looking for the humor in the world or if something just happens to seem funny to you is that what how how do you well, I- I teach a I teach a class here in the city, and um, uh, my basic philosophy, my definition is that my job is to go through my life and uh, find things that I think are funny, and then uh, I got to figure out a way to translate it so that a, a a group of people, a room full of people, how I can get them to see the same thing that I thought saw was funny, and then also to get them to see it all at the same time, you know, to to, hit, to have it in the structure of a, of a joke that makes it so that it can pop at the end. Right. Um, now sometimes that's, it is an observation, you know, uh, sometimes it's just amusing, you know, it's like something just hits you. That's odd, yeah. you know, just some sort of a thought, you know? So, I mean, it's, um, so I think in that regards, um, uh, I guess there are people who just do characters and that kind of stuff. And it's not so much an observation as it is a character driven thing. I don't know. Once I start thinking about it, I just want to shoot myself. <laughs> That's true. When you break down comedy and you start analyzing it too much, suddenly it's not that funny. I anymore. suck. It's never going to be funny again. Uh, have you been watching any of the the shows on television, like you know, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and and Crashing on HBO? I mean, these these. I I do not watch Crashing. Okay. I have watched Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and it's marvelous. Yes, it's one of my favorite. How uh, how. You know, uh, apropos is, I mean, how, is it is that kind of like the life of a comic? Now, of course, Maisel is back in the 60s. Uh, but, you know, it, well, first, it, it, it really starts in the late 50s, yeah. Yeah. late 50s, early 60s. I feel uh, when I looked at it, it was um, I just felt that they got it. Mm-hmm. OK, that that and, and I have all sorts of comics who, friends who complain about it. Okay, that they don't know oh, no, the, the, her routines aren't funny, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the thing is, I don't believe a, a actual stand up routine would be effective in that show. No, you know, it's 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 it, the stand up routines there are humorous, 
but they they also drive forward plot points and they they drive forward relationships and 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 they tell you backstory there's all sorts of stuff that happens from it you know uh like when she's up there ranting about uh something sexual or whatever and then she sees her father out there right okay right. the 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 actual joke is, you know, it's all really just a device to get her in this horrible, horrible moment of of, of confrontation with her, with her father, yeah. in terms of you know him realizing who she is. Anyway, but I, I like that part of it. I like um, uh, now. I'm not Jewish, although most people <laughs> are surprised when they hear that. You know what? You're honor. I, you're an honorary. I, I have the power of making you an honorary <laughs> one. The um, uh, I'm not Jewish, but I, uh, uh, particularly living here, and you know, it's it's such a the Jewish culture is such a giant part of stand-up culture. Okay? Yeah. Um, and I've lived in the New York City area for the last 20 years. I was in the Friars Club for 15 years, and uh, the Upper West Side Jewish culture, I never knew that I never knew what that meant. Okay, but once I saw, but. I, I have all sorts of friends who fit into that culture and have for for decades. And then I see that and I get it. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. this whole different world up there. You know, the, 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 the counterpoint between their culture and Kevin Pollack's culture, the, the garment district culture. Yeah. Okay. And the funny is the garment district has the money and the ones up on the upper West side, uh, have the, uh, have the job at Columbia, but no money. Yeah. Right. right you know, right. 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 Uh, uh, it's just, I just love it. I just love it. I love that they finally, this last season, they got up to the cat skills yeah. and, uh, they, they just did a wonderful job up there. And, uh, and then of course, Lenny Bruce. Yes. Who they you make know, a character and, in the show and, and, and really believable. It's first off the guy, the actor who plays him. Oh, was great. Won, won an Emmy for him last fall. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and if you're a comic like of my generation, maybe others, but you know, Lenny Bruce is sort of a mythic character. Okay. That you may have seen, you, you, you see, uh, uh, we've seen his appearance on like, uh, the, uh, the Jack Parr show or the right. Steve Allen tonight show. We saw that you can see a video of that and you can see Dustin Hoffman doing the movie Lenny, right. but you know, it, it ends up that that movie is, doesn't do uh, Lenny Bruce justice. You know, because I, I spoke to somebody who said that because because Dustin Hoffman's not funny, right? It's a kind okay. of a key ingredient. You know, it's it's he's not funny. Well, you know, all he is is Jewish, and the truth is, <laughs> right. he looks Jewish. Dustin Hoffman looks like it's just a, a, a an uber Jewish person, whereas Lenny Bruce was 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 cute Jewish. Yeah, you know, yeah, he could have passed uh, for Italian. Know, uh, uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman is, you know, is like molester Jewish, okay? <laughs> but, but Lenny Bruce is like, you know, smooth and charming, and um, molester. Uh, right. You got the and, Orthodox, you got the conservatives, <laughs> and you got the molester Jews. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but uh, so the, the the few things that I've actually uh, found out about him is I, I that marvelous Mrs. Maisel portrayal. I think that they get it. Yeah. I think that they get it, you know. It all comes down to when she bails him out of prison in the first episode, bails him out of jail in the first episode, and he's leaving 
the, 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 the police station and she says something to him, you know, she goes, well, why do you do it or whatever? And he looks back and he kind of throws his shoulders up, puts his hands up and has a cute little smile on his face. And he walks yeah, out. And yeah, I, right. I think what gets what's get what's gets lost because of how this guy died and 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 uh, how he became obsessed with uh, the the speech thing and everything was he was just a really funny guy. Yeah, yeah. And he was quirky and he was obviously extremely charming because you can't be a star, you can't attract an audience, you know, unless you're charming. And he was a charming guy. Okay. Well, let's talk about your your big moment uh, on television when you were on uh, Late Night with David Letterman. Uh, yeah. So we're talking, what, six, seven years ago, something like that? Thanks. Yes, yeah. it was seven years ago. Seven years ago. Uh, I um, can't believe it, but it was. I have seen, I've seen the uh, set. Oh, that's great. Tell, tell us the whole story, because I know every comic want wants that slot and you got it and what happened to you before and after and what i mean what just tell us the whole well, story first off i've been trying i've been trying to get on a late night talk show either the tonight show or uh, eventually or letterman for ever since like 1982 right. okay 1980 81 i remember auditioning for jim mccauley who was the talent coordinator at the tonight show with johnny carson was starring johnny carson and um i did a set when i got off stage he wasn't there and uh, <laughs> i was auditioning for him and i chased him out into the lot into the parking lot and he smelled of you know booze and bourbon oh, and um, i said well what'd you think and he goes he goes and, and it's sort of like between burp between bourbon belches <laughs> he said he goes i didn't i didn't see anything that i thought was funny oh boy and then there's a pause and then he goes and i definitely didn't see anything that johnny would think was funny wow and um and of course i i always feel that that's the point when my drinking crossed the line into alcoholism okay? <laughs> um but it took me years and years and years to understand it you know because i mean the thing is i always just go up and get laughs yeah. I could always go up and just get really big laughs, you know. And I remember going to when I first got to L.A., I auditioned for Mitzi Shore at the at the uh, comedy store. And I, I just destroyed, absolutely destroyed to the point that afterwards, the, the one of the talent court, the guy who introduced me, like, I think it was Robert Aguayo. He said, well, if you're going to talk to her, now's the time. Because literally the audience is still. I'm actually. I'm actually. In sitting, I'm, I'm standing next to her at her booth in the back. Okay, the audience is still applauding. This is this is a packed audience at wow. the at the at the, um, uh, at the original room. And by the way, it was a hot, if you, that room was a hot. If you if you killed there, I mean, it was just it was unbelievable what yeah. would happen. You know, just the way that the bloom shook. They're literally still applauding. She waves me down with her hand. And she says, don't let any of that fool you. You're not funny. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hello. Crap. And, you know, and, and, and you know, these were and, and that was what, you know, that was what I was up against. OK. And, and, and I didn't know how to handle the idea that I killed. And yet she didn't think I was funny. OK. And um I remember I remember a number of years later, I, did, I was doing a comedy competition and there was a guy out of Chicago who had the best set of his life and he came in sixth yeah. and he had to leave. He'd never, he'd, he'd never had response like that before. And he came in sixth and he, he had to leave. Okay. He just, he couldn't handle that. Yeah. Okay. So, because when we're upstairs, we're on, when we're on stage and we're killed, it's like when you're, it's like when you're having sex 
it's just you and her and you know she's screaming yes yes and and, and, and you're screaming yes yes and at that moment you're a god yeah. that's where i get my most laughs to be honest i'll have to that. take you your know, word for at that. that moment <laughs> yeah. at that moment you're an absolute god you're like joe buck from yeah. uh, midnight cowboy you know you, you think because some girl in the back of a car uh, thought you know the, it, it was happy with, with you that you belong in new york city as a as a as a, as a cowboy okay so anyway um uh i tried to get on off and on for years um i remember i remember the, the carson's last show crying because i knew that meant that i could never do it yeah you know i should have probably realized it, it would have been a couple of years before that i would have, it would have been a process <laughs> when the guy <laughs> said like, johnny like will never find you funny the day before yeah <laughs> the um um and then so i come to new york i move around a lot but i came to new york in around 2000 and I'd always had a good act, but you know, it, it, I, I came up with the idea that I needed to put together an act. I needed to find my material that was showcase material, material for like the clubs in New York City, okay, as opposed to just you know comedy clubs around the country. Right. And I started to um, allow my material to kind of, uh, I, I started to seek in, look into my material. Where's the jokes? Where are the really strong lines? Okay. And my act sort of started to develop around that. And um, I did not – what happens is I auditioned for uh, the guy who was the coordinator there, and he didn't think I, he didn't think I was right for the show, okay? And um, I just got tired of rejection, so I just let it go. I started doing cruises for a long time, and um, what happens is I, le- I end up – I lose my cruise agent, so I don't work at cruises for a year and a half, okay? And I'm in the clubs in, in the city. This is like 2010, 11, 12, right around there. And the guy who had said I wasn't he wasn't right for the show got fired, okay? Uh, from He was the talent coordinator for, for the late show with David Letterman. And they replaced him with a triumvirate, three young people, okay? And they went out and saw all the acts in the city. That they, that they had heard about or, or the people recommended. And their deal was that all three of them had to want them on the show in order for them to, have, to be, have a chance to be on the show. And I was offered a, uh, a showcase at the comic strip by uh, Richie Tinkin, and, who's the owner of the place. And I actually turned him down. I said, you know, I just, I just don't want to get, I just don't want to be rejected again. And I talked to my son that night and he goes, you should really do it. So I did it. So I, came, I called him up, I did it. I put together my set. And uh, did all my killer material, and uh, I went up and I just knocked it out of the park because I, I was really good in that room, and it was all material that I thought would be good on television. It was all material that I liked, I thought would be good on television. And uh, he, Richie, told me an hour later, he goes, there were two people they were interested in, hmm. and it was me and Colin Jost, the guy who was the um, oh yeah, that's SNL. Okay. And um, and so that is probably June of 2012. And then uh, they put me on another showcase, uh, knocked it out of the park again. It was like me and it was like me. You know, I was like 58. I was 57. And it was me and, and like a bunch of guy people in their 20s and 30s. OK. And uh, they had no idea what they were doing. They were no idea. It was, it was like. 2D and 3D. It was like black and white and Technicolor, okay? <laughs> and um, 
So they say they want me on the show, and we put together a set over the next couple of months. And uh, so now it's like about August of 2012, and I got the set. Now we're just waiting for the time to go up. Wow. And it took another six months to find a slot. They called me up with a slot, and it was a week that I was – I had gotten back on cruise ships. And it was a week that I was going to be in on, a, on a cruise ship. I had could have that week or the following week, okay? And I could take the first week they offered and cancel the cruise, or if I do the cruise, I can come back and do it the next week uh, when I get back from the cruise. And I, in my mind, I knew that I had to take the second week. That if I was to allow myself to cancel three thousand dollars of work, it would be giving the show. It would be. It would be just. It's too needy. It was just too needy. Gotcha. You know, there's nothing worse when you're needy. It just felt too needy. Okay. And um, so between that Wednesday, that uh, the Thursday that I didn't do it and the one I did, that week I was just praying every night that, that he didn't die of a heart attack. <laughs> or the ship doesn't sink. Right? Yeah, right. He didn't say some horribly, <laughs> racist, yeah, right. some horribly racist, offensive thing on the air. <laughs> you know, have some sort of, you know, some sort of a horrible thing happen. You know, no assassin. <laughs> and because, uh, you know, you have to live with that for the rest of my life. You know, you know, I could have. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be drunk in a bar with a cigarette. You know, I, I was almost. Uh, <laughs> Um, so that's the story of how I got on and everything. That's a yeah. great, that's a great story. Yeah, you uh, know, how many times have you watched on YouTube? Cause I think I've watched it like 30 times. Uh, you do, know, do you, do you watch yourself on YouTube? I mean, do you, do you, gen- you know, generally, generally no. these days, what I've done is I've scrubbed the I've scrubbed the tube oh. to, uh, do all the material that I do in my, and basically I want to showcase the, the, the material that I'm doing when people hire me for corporate events and churches and, right. And, Cause uh, you do a clean act. Public you're, events. You're... You know, it's yeah. I mean, I, the bulk of my act and my jokes were always clean, but yeah. I always had some stuff because I'm in a club that, uh, you know, I'm, I, we're, we're, <laughs> I appealed to your lesser angels. Um, <laughs> Well, and, uh, I, I I highly recommend people check out the stuff that you have up there on YouTube. We played a clip earlier about colonoscopies, uh, just to uh, tease your appearance, um, which is a great something bit. that Dave and I relate to totally. <laughs> yeah. We're have about the same it? age as you. Did you get? Did you pull it off the dry bar? I don't know what. Uh, uh, where, where did we get that? I don't Dave, know. Dave, uh, Dave brought it in, so I'm uh, not sure. All right. Well, here's the thing: you go on YouTube, and you uh, you put in Ross Bennett dry bar. Okay. Okay, and you know about dry bar comedy? No. What? What's what's up with you guys? <laughs> dry bar comedy is a um, uh, it's a it's a uh, it's online out of Utah, yeah. and it's basically it's Netflix for clean comedy. Oh, okay. And they have over fifty or between fifty and a hundred comics who have produced they've produced full forty five minute like Netflix specials, but it's all clean comedy. Oh, wow. Okay? So they have a Facebook page, face, uh, a dry bar. You can get the clips on YouTube. You're just clicking right now, Ross Bennett YouTube. I mean, Ross Bennett uh, dry bar, you'll see it. And uh, then they also have a website where you can get the full specials, okay? Oh, well, there you go. Um, and we're talking about, I mean, I've got my my that, my videos on there have like three, four million hits. Wow. Well, there you go. And uh, and some people have things of like fifty, hundred million hits. I mean, there's like there's 
some people when they connect they really connect you know um but that's that's if you want to see my stuff they got it's they got four chunks out of my 45 minute thing up there that uh i think really show me well the best i'm i'm, I'm very proud of those well, we appreciate you coming on oh, today great, to Brian. do this uh, interview. We, it's always fun talking to you, and you know we're fans, and we wish you oh, the thanks, best in Dan. your career. Yeah. And if you're in I the, love what I, I love what I do, and I'm glad that I'm able to make people laugh and, and have a good time. And if people are listening, and you're in the United Terminal uh, tomorrow <laughs> from what seven to seven thirty or something, you can right, catch right, my, right. You Hold can, a sign up. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, man. We'll be in touch. Uh, and, All right. Uh, thanks, buddy. And uh, uh, safe travels. And thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, thanks so much. That was great. Ross. I mean, he. Um, I love the David Letterman story. and just You take a deep dive into comedy. You know, well, these guys, it, you, you see them on stage, and it looks like they're just going up there and being funny. Right. But there is so much thought and so much uh well it takes he just basically said it took it took him a lifetime to do a 40 minute set you know um and no it's he's great he's a great guy and if you're in green bay (laughs) that's right or at the airport uh so a special thanks to our executive producer tony lasana with opishows.com opi is hippo backwards o-p-p-i-h shows.com we're distributed by ed silla with radio misfits great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again next week with another episode of Minutia Man. The preceding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Opie Productions. Tony, can you shut up?